you're on a process of discovery. So you're learning about all different, you know, different topics, different subjects, different industries. So I think it's a great time to experiment with what might, you know, be the most interesting for you to choose a career path in. Welcome to season four of Confident with me, Sherry West, and my fearless daughter, Olivia. This season, we'll be talking with some fierce female leaders about things we really care about, including the gender gap and social justice. We hope that these conversations spark your passion and sense of agency to affect positive change. Are you ready? Episode seven, things we care about, smashing ceilings. Welcome, welcome everyone. It's summer! What are you the most looking forward to this summer? I'm most looking forward to spending time with mom. Oh, of course. Spending time with my friends and family. And of course, my puppy. Uh, what are you most looking forward to? Definitely time at the beach. And you know, Nana's coming to spend a mm-hmm. good chunk of the summer with us. And um, I know you're going to DC and Connor's in DC. So it'll be a it'll yeah, be a fun summer. Definitely. You know, I also want to mention today is the 50th anniversary of Title IX. So important. Yeah, Title IX, I mean it prohibits gender-based discrimination in public schools and education programs, which as we've seen mostly applies to student athletes. And it's incredibly important. It has allowed for so much, you know, inclusion in sports. Well, think about the U.S. women's soccer team would not be, I don't feel at the elite level it is without Title IX and what's accomplished over 50 years. But I also think it's an important day to reflect on how much more work we have to do is Billie yeah. Jean King actually said this morning at the Capitol that Title IX has largely helped suburban white girls. Yeah. Um, so over the next 50 years, we need to focus more on girls of color, trans girls, yeah. LGBTQ youth, um, making sure that there's truly equality in, yeah. in, in I sports. I mean, there's so many laws right now trying to attack the rights of trans girls in sports. So that's definitely something that has to be a major focus going forward. Yeah. So let's go. Like, yeah. Olivia, you're on your way to law school to like keep making for parents. I'm excited about today's interview. Um, Shaz Kang is such an incredible, phenomenal business uh, executive, and there's so much to be learned for her. So let's get into the interview. Shaz Kong is a visionary leader and inventive thinker who is passionate about consumer-focused businesses. Shaz brings a wealth of experience running companies and businesses such as Jimboree, Lucy Activewear, Nike, and working with brands like Staples, Carter's, Sephora, Tiffany, Levi Strauss, Macy's, Quaker Oats, Kraft, and P&G. She currently serves on the public corporate board for GoPro, is an advisor to PE and VC-backed businesses, and is on the Investor Advisory Council of AVG Funds, a venture capital firm. Shaz is also the writer of two novels in her Ceiling Smasher series. She graduated from Cornell and Warren and is the mother of twin girls. Welcome to Confident, Shaz. Thank you, Olivia. It's so exciting to, to welcome you to Confident, Shaz. And, you know, it's maybe easier to say what's not on yes, her bio. Um, yeah. It's a really impressive bio. And it, and also, um, Shaz is a member of the Live Girl Advisory Council. So we're very fortunate and lucky mm-hmm. to to always leverage her expertise. So And thanks for coming on Confident to share it with our with our audience here. Sure. I'm very happy to be part of Liberal. I think you guys are doing a great job with it. And it's such an important um, effort. And I'm happy to participate in the in the podcast. Hopefully somebody will find my my uh, discussion of the different topics useful. Yeah. 
And I know as the mother of twin girls, you're in, how old are your, how old are your twins? They're, They're your 11 years old. Okay. So you're just heading into this, uh, the, 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 the eye of the storm, so to speak. So, <laughs> um, and we look forward to having them in our, in our programming soon. Um, yeah. So we always like to start off our podcast by asking the same question, which is, can you share something that Google doesn't know about you? Which may be tough because you've been in this retail consumer dom- domain for a while, but Anything Google doesn't know about you? Uh, Well, I'm a scuba diver. And one time I was doing a shark feeding dive and a shark got into the cage with us. So that was (laughs) one of the more memorable and scary moments of my life. (laughs) Now, after that, are you still a scuba diver? (laughs) I still am. Yeah. (laughs) Believe it or not. Wow. That's amazing. Um, Because I know I was a rock climber until I broke my ankle. I don't think qualified as a rock climber. You went rock climbing once. (laughs) So that's that's impressive that you're still a scuba diver, even after the shark got into the cage. It's amazing. Um, So Shaz, you've had, like we said, such an impressive fire, but you actually started out your career as a food scientist, which is so interesting to me. Can you kind of talk about those early beginnings and how kind of your career roadmap from there, you've taken many pivots along the way. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Sure. I think one of the things that that women have to realize is that over the course of your studies and your career, your interests are going to change and you're going to evolve as a person. So I, it's so funny. I, I met a girl in college and she said, I'm going to become a food scientist and then I'm going to get a degree in food chemistry and then I'm going to have two kids. And then, you know, so she had her whole thing planned out. And I, you know, I thought, I wonder if it's going to really work out that way. But I uh, ended up, I I really liked science when I was in high school and I wanted to potentially go pre-med. And my father, who was a professor, said, pick a a topic that is specific enough that you can um, get a job when you graduate if you decide not to go to medical school. And so I picked food science. I actually looked through the classified ads of the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, and I saw there are a lot of ads for food scientists and research scientists. So I thought, you know, people always have to eat. So this seems like a, a pretty safe um, career. And so I picked Cornell because they had the best food science program. And then, um, you know, I, I ended up doing a, an analysis towards the end of my freshman year of um, the medical profession. And there was a trend towards HMOs, increased malpractice insurance, you know, and I just thought, you know, I don't know if this is really the right fit for me. So I ended up just focusing on um, food science. And um, when I graduated, I got a, a job at Kraft um, working in the, it was called technical innovations. So it was really early uh, inventions of new prototypes, new food products and new packaging. So I really, um, I thought it was pretty exciting. And my first project was inventing synthetic blueberries. Wow. That is- <laughs> And do they taste any different than organically grown blueberries? Uh, they're a little bit, they have a little bit more of a robust flavor. Like they taste more like actual blueberries, believe it or not, but, and they're made from uh, an extract of seaweed. So they're actually pretty healthy. And now they use them in like blueberry muffin mixes and cereals and things like that. That's so I think food science is so yeah. interesting. Is it, can you click? Confirm this for me. I've read or heard somewhere oh that the residue from the residue that. from the burrito chip, you know, the residue that's left on your fingers is yeah. specifically designed so that when you lick it, you, you have to have another chip. 
Is that, is that can you confirm that? No, well, they definitely do a lot of tricks like that with snack foods um, to get people to consume more. And I don't know if you've ever had instant coffee, but you know, when you break the seal of instant coffee, a, a jar of instant coffee, they, they flush it with nitrogen and this aroma of coffee. So when you break it, you get this whiff of, you know, coffee and think, oh, this is so fresh, even though it's instant coffee. So there are a lot of tricks they, they use to make food products seem more appealing and to get people to consume more of them, for sure. But, you know, I, so I, my first job out of college, I was working in this lab and, I realized pretty quickly that um, I actually wanted to run a business because we were developing all of these new food products and different ideas, and then we'd present them to marketing, and then the marketing folks would decide which ones to fund. So sometimes I thought they're not picking the ones that are the most consumer focused, and I thought, you know, I don't know what their decision process is, but I just thought, you know, I, I think I could do a pretty good job of that. So um, I decided that I wanted to run a business or run a company. And when I looked around, I didn't see any scientists running companies at that time. So I knew I had to get an MBA and um, I ended up, uh, you know, going to Wharton to get my MBA. And that's just so incredible to be able to take the innovative yeah. lens from food science sure. into a business and to innovate, you know, a retail product or service, and which is what you've done over the course of your career. And I think such powerful advice um, to the young women listening yeah. that you just because you major in something or graduate with a degree in something doesn't mean that's a permanent decision and that you're bound to that for the rest of your life. I mean, we all, yeah. when I, and it seems so obvious when you get older, I look back now at who the person I was when I was Olivia's age at 18 or even 30 to today, I, I'm very different people, much richer, evolved, different interests, different passions. Um, I've built different strengths. So of course, what I'm doing today might be a little different than what I thought I'd be doing at yeah. And like as a college student who like I'm not entirely sure what I want to do. I love hearing stories like that where you started, you know, possibly pre-med and then food science and then business like that's just so amazing. And it really is. It makes me feel like, you know, kind of secure in the fact that no matter what I choose, I can always decide to do something later. Right. And I think the thing that's great about, you know, your period in life, Olivia, is you're on a process of discovery. So you're learning about all different you know, different topics, different subjects, different industries. So I think it's a great time to experiment with what might, you know, be the most interesting for you to choose a career path in. Yeah. yeah. And you know, Live Girl, we run the She Works program. And sometimes we have interns that come back to me and they're tentative and afraid to share that they've learned that they really don't like you know, the nature of the internship they've been placed into, whether it's computer science or finance or, or whatever it may be. And I say, congratulations. <laughs> what a wonderful discovery you had that you now know that you don't, don't want to, do you know, go into the computer science field or, or finance or whatever it is. That's an important discovery. So right, right. celebrate that with them. Yeah, it's just as important to find out what you're interested in as finding out what you want to rule out. And actually, I read a book and they talked about motivated skills. So these are the the skills that you're good at that you actually like to use and you've got to find the career that uses those motivated skills but like for my career I um you know basically once I decided I wanted to run a business or run a company and I went and got an MBA then afterwards I just thought okay I want to focus on consumer focused businesses or consumer products or retail so I kind of mapped out my career so I would gather the skills that I would need to become a CEO someday. So after business school, I went into consulting and I did strategy and operations consulting so I could learn, you know, all of the aspects of how a business was run. 
Then I went into uh, the internet space and helped build e-businesses and then worked on branding and marketing. And then I kind of kind of finally felt like I had a well-rounded skill set. So I felt prepared to run a business. And then I went to Nike and was able to run a few businesses there. Wow, yeah. impressive. And you've run many businesses since then. As you said, Nike, Lucy Activewear, Gymboree. Um, what is the single most important leadership trait that you feel fueled your ascent? I think tenacity. I think you never can give up. And I think you always have to believe in yourself and believe you can do something, even though it's something you may not have done before. And I have a, a, a saying, which is ABC, always be confident. So as a leader, even though you may be in a new situation and you may not be completely sure if you can achieve something, you have to project confidence to your team. Otherwise, they're not going to follow you. If you, you know, it's like being in battle and saying, uh, I think that we should go this way or do this. You know, People are not going to get behind you, but you say, let's charge ahead. We can beat them. We're going to do this. This is how we're going to do it. Let's go. Then people get really excited. So I think you have to definitely project confidence. You have to have a clarity of vision. You know, You just need to get people excited about what it is you're trying to accomplish together. Um, and I also, I, I did Western style boxing, um, you know, when I was younger and my boxing coach said, what's the most important thing about boxing? It's not getting hit. So he taught me, you know, how to bob and weave. And I think in um, business and career wise, it's kind of the same thing. You have to kind of bob and weave and, and be able to take a hit and, you know, also be able to throw a punch successfully. And when you can achieve something that nobody was expecting, then I think that's what you'd consider to be a knockout punch. Hmm. That's that's an yeah. awesome analogy, especially <laughs> since today is the 50th anniversary of Title IX. And you we're talking about all of your sports, scuba diving, boxing. Uh, so I love that time, yeah. real-time time. But that's great advice, um, just the tenacity part. And um, can you just expand on that though? So I'd love to hear, because you've had such a, a thorough resume, there must have been some fails in there. So give us an example of where you had a failure and you had to display and demonstrate tenacity in the face of failure. Uh, well, I think my last job at Nike was probably the what I would call the biggest failure. So I was, um, they had reorganized the company and, and they um, had different categories of businesses. So they had put me as a number two person over the women's, um, the global women's business. And uh, my boss was a woman and I was really excited to have a female boss, but I quickly realized that uh, she considered me to be competition and basically made it very difficult for me to succeed. And every two weeks, she would give me a, a list of 12 new priorities that she wanted me to do. And so I think I realized she was making it impossible for me to actually accomplish something. Um, and it was just, you know, not a good team culture. It was, it was I was pretty miserable, actually. And um, I, I think it took me a few really uh, critical experiences with her to realize I just, this is not the place for me, even though it's a great company and I've achieved a lot, this particular role is not working. And I went to the CEO and I said, look, you know, I appreciate all the opportunities you've given me, but this role is just, it's not a good fit for me. So can you, and I, I said, I'd really like to run another business. You know, is there another business I can run? And he said, we'd love for you to do that, but we just don't have anything. So can you just, can you just sit tight for another, you know, two or three years? And I thought I, I will not survive in this job for two or three years. 
So I realized I had to leave the company and I ended up leaving and did not have a, an idea of what I was going to do. But, and, and, you know, many people said, oh, Shaz, you can just work out more and you can, you know, take, take a long lunch or whatever and, and just enjoy being, you know, in a role that isn't too demanding. But I realized for myself, I couldn't sit there and just, you know, not achieve what I felt I wanted to. And I just, I wasn't, I wasn't fully utilized then. So I think the situation was kind of a failure for me, but I think the realization for me that I needed to move on was something that helped, uh, helped me take on, take me on the path for the rest of my career. Mm. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Because I think when people look at you now, they just see someone who's an accomplished CEO, a serial board director, uh, a best-selling author, and they, they, they don't get to see these little parts. You've, yes, of course, you've had all these uncomfortable yeah. failures throughout your career that you've had to persist through and, and you've done that. So thank you for, for sharing that. It makes it, yeah, so, it makes it so real for us. Yeah, it's really valuable. Um, and speaking of, you know, all these failures and growing your career, what was the best mentoring advice you were given that you would like to pass on to this next generation of uh, people entering the workforce? I think the best advice I've given was don't let your successes go to your head and don't let your failures get to your heart. So, you know, even though you succeed, stay humble. And when you when you don't have something that works out the way you hoped, just keep at it and keep showing up. Mm, I love that. Simple, powerful, impactful. I love that. And and um, speaking of your successes, so you now have published two novels in the Ceiling Smasher series, which I love. So what was your inspiration there? You were a bit, an accomplished businesswoman. You kept on going. You, you, have, you have a full family. It's not like you have a lot of free time. You scuba dive, you box. And so one day, one Sunday afternoon, you woke up and said, hmm, I'll write a book too. Like, Actually, you know, I, I'm kind of like you, Sherry. I just can't sit still. And, you know, you're doing a million things. But uh, I had twin daughters and they were probably about six months old at the time. And I had been working really hard. And I just I decided to take off six months from my career and just focus on my daughters. And uh, I think probably after about three weeks, I was like, OK, I I have this idea and I, I want to take action on it. And the thing that was kind of the thing that precipitated that was that I was reading a lot of fiction novels and I had a really hard time finding any fiction books where there was a strong, smart, positive, inspirational businesswoman at the at the center. And you saw many male characters that were great and, you know, well-liked, successful, you know, talented, but you just didn't see that with a lot of female characters. And I know so many amazing female, you know, leaders out there in business. And I thought nobody's writing about these women or for them. So I wanted to change that. So I wrote the first um, novel, actually, I wrote it actually in 10 months and I would outline, I outlined the novel and then I had each chapter outlined. And then I would take the piece of paper with me to the playground when I was with my girls. And then I would start thinking about the the story. And then I, when they were napping, I'd have an hour and a half to sit down and write. So I just, I used the time pretty, uh, efficiently. And uh, I ended up finishing the novel in 10 months, but then the editing process, because I went back to work, took another probably two and a half years. So the editing process was quite painful. But the first novel is called The Closer, and it's about the first female CEO of a sports company and the secret society of professional women called the Ceiling Smashers who help her succeed. That's awesome. And I mean, that just shows how important representation is, because 
You're right. I mean, I read a lot of books and you're totally right. There really aren't that many, you know, like positive female uh, business people, role models that are written about. And so I think that's, that's incredible. Well, yeah, it's funny too, because a lot of uh, some of the publishers were saying to me, nobody wants to read about, you know, smart, successful women. They want to read about flawed characters. They want to read about women who are struggling to get married. And I, I said, I think you're wrong. I think, I think the audience out there is, is craving something fresh and something realistic. So that's why I did it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And by the way, Olivia is a voracious reader <laughs> and writer and is interning right now with the author, Heather Cabot. So oh, um, great. probably some good notes in there between <laughs> yeah. Heather and, and Chad. Well, I expect it. to see a novel from you soon. <laughs> <laughs> with a, few, a strong female character. Of course. Of course yeah. <laughs> um, so you now serve on the board of GoPro. And we might have listeners who are unfamiliar with what it means to be a board member. So could you talk about your role as a board member and what you do and what that constitutes? Sure. Um, so public and private companies both have typically a board of directors, which is anywhere from like 10 to 12 people. And they are ultimately the people who guide the future of the company. And they have the, a fiduciary, fiduciary responsibility to make sure that the company is making the best decisions not only ethically, morally, financially, uh, in terms of the environment, in terms of the community, but the board members also serve as sounding boards and coaches for the CEO and the executive team and really um, inject new thinking, bring their expertise, bring their leadership. They ask tough questions, uh, challenge the status quo, you know, really help them see what's around the corner. So I think a great board is one that can help an executive team think about the future and be able to anticipate any challenges that might impact the business um, negatively and be prepared for those. So, so they really help build a robust strategy for the business. So the business is prepared to weather any storms. Yeah. It's, it's such a great experience. And I will say great boards also are inclusive of great women like you and people of color and all different kinds of people, diverse perspectives so that they've got that input into their company. And it's, funny, I love so, it's funny though, because a lot of boards, you know, as you, I'm sure you've read, a lot of boards are made up of mostly men. And um, one of the boards, uh, actually on Jim Marie, I was, I was asked to join the board and I was the only woman on the board and I was the only person with young children. Wow. So it was very interesting because yeah. when I was talking about, you know, navigating a stroller through the aisles of the, the oh, store, you know, or being able to quickly see what the prices were. I mean, just things like small things like that, we're having a shopping bag with handles. So, you know, you can put it on the, the stroller. Just these are like little things that I think some of these men just weren't thinking about. So I think, you know, as a woman, you can bring a different perspective and, and just um, expand the thinking of the board as well. Absolutely. Are you in favor of mandates to impose a certain number of diversity on boards? I think it's hard to, uh, I mean, I know that California was trying to do that and I thought it was a good thing because it actually brought more attention to the dearth of women on boards and, and the lack of, you know, people of color, lack of, you know, just diversity in general. And I think when you have more diversity, you have more diverse thinking, more diverse experience and um, more diverse outlooks. And that can only be a good thing for a business. Uh, so 
I think that companies now are realizing that it it can only be a benefit to have more variety on the board. So I think that the CEOs of today are more enlightened and they're really looking for a, a broader mm-hmm. you know, kind of set of expertise and, and um, you know, just a, a broader population to inhabit the board. Right. Well, GoPro is lucky to have you, yeah. that's for sure. Um, look, I think talking to you, Shaz, is like a masterclass <laughs> and like career readiness and like career advice. So I mean, yeah. I, we, we have to bring Shaz back because mm-hmm. I just think there's so much for our young women to learn from you. But um, we're going to transition and to close the podcast, we always like to ask a couple of fun questions for our listeners get to, to get to know you a little better. So the first one is kind of a fill in the blank. It's my mantra is dot, dot, dot. Be great and be good. So do important things and be a good person. I love that. Yeah. I love all the advice that she has. It's It's very simple, to the point, powerful. (laughs) (laughs) What about, can you give us a leader that you admire most? I think a recent leader that I really admire is Catherine Jansen. She's the head of R&D for vaccine um, R&D at Pfizer. And she really uh, corralled a team of 650 experts to not only develop and test a viable vaccine for COVID-19, but also get it distributed. And I mean, to do that in less than a year was just, I think, amazing. And they used a lot of breakthrough technology with messenger RNA, stuff that hadn't been used before. So I, I liked her breakthrough thinking, the way that she you know, just led these experts to achieve something that was really unheard of before and, and the fact that she saved countless lives. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned her because I, I think it's a name that hasn't yeah, give, gotten sure. enough credit or headline. And and now, of course, the hope is that we can take that breakthrough thinking and, and apply it to other areas, whether it's cancer or whatever, because I think there was a lot to be learned through the rapid vac- vac- yeah. vaccine development process. So that's right. a great. And finally, what are you obsessed with right now? As we approach summer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just discovered a Netflix show called Get Organized, where it's a women-led company called The Home Edit, and they'll go into somebody's home and take a space and just magically transform it into a space that works, that's logically designed and neat and organized and everything is labeled. I love that. So uh, I think I'm going to apply some of those techniques to my own home this summer. (laughs) I haven't heard of that one. So that's fun. Yeah. Well, Shaz, thank you so much. Again, it's such a delight. Thank you for all you do on the Live Girl Advisory Council. Thank you for sharing your expertise today. Um, and, and, uh, you know, we'll be talking obviously again and submitting more questions to you from our SheWorks interns, but thank you for all you do to champion women and girls. My pleasure. And thank you both of you for everything you've done with Live Girl. I think you're doing something really important and it's really going to impact people's lives. So you should be proud of yourselves. 